I'm Deidre. I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. Hello. Hello. We're back. Hello. We hope everyone had a happy holiday. A happy holiday. Happy holidays. And ring happy holidays to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nope. I'm tired of these trucks driving through my street, driving on my street. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it. I will be doing kind of like a mass murder today. So, yeah, I know we got tickled for a second. but I'm like, oh, no, I'm Mm. about to bring the mood down. Um, Okay, so today I'm going to be telling you all about Amy Bishop. So. Amy Bishop was born on April 24th, 1965. She's married to James Anderson and is the mother of four children. She grew up in Massachusetts and completed her undergraduate undergraduate, <laughs> undergraduate degree at Northeastern University in Boston, where her father, Samuel Bishop, was a professor in the art department. She earned her PhD in genetics from Harvard University. Mm-hmm. Harvard. So, Harvard. Okay. She joined the faculty of the Department of Biological Services at the University of Alabama in Huntsville as an assistant professor in 2003. Previously, she was an instructor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Bishop and her husband competed in a technology competition and developed a portable cell incubator, coming in third and winning $25,000. Prodigy Biosystems, where Anderson is employed, raised $1.25 million to develop the automated, automated cell incubator, although some scientists consulted by the press declared it unnecessary and too expensive. So, mm. like, they're, like, sciencey people. Yeah. <laughs> Can't relate, but, um, yeah, she went to Harvard, then taught at Harvard Medical School. So, like, she's a very, very intelligent mm-hmm. woman, okay, and she's got her own thing going, you know. So according to a friend and fellow member of a writing group in Massachusetts, Bishop had penned three unpublished novels, one of which featured a female scientist working to defeat a potential pandemic virus and struggling with suicidal thoughts at the threat of not earning tenure. So interesting because, you know, defeating a potential pandemic virus and here we are in the pandemic, like... It was fiction at one point. Um, But yeah. So she is the second cousin of the novelist John Irving and was a member of the Hamilton Writers Group while living in Ipswich, Massachusetts in the late 1990s and apparently saw writing as her ticket out of academia. Hmm. Mm -hmm. She had a literary agent and members of the club said she would frequently cite her Harvard degree and family ties to Irving to boost her credential as a serious writer. So she's just, yeah. oh, yeah, I went to Harvard. Okay. Another member, which it's great. If you went to yeah. Harvard, fantastic. But, like, you don't have to be rubbing everybody's noses in yeah. it. Okay. 
Ivy League. Another member <laughs> described Bishop as smart but abrasive in her interactions with other members and feeling entitled to praise. Hmm. Multiple colleagues of Bishop had expressed concern over her behavior. She has been described as interrupting meetings with bizarre tangents, left field kind of stuff, being strange or crazy, which I'm like, okay, well, we can't call people crazy. So, did things that weren't normal, and she was out of touch with reality. So, we're not going to call her crazy, because she does have a mental illness, and we mm-hmm. will find out. We, we don't find out what it is, but we're going to find out that she does, because of what happens. So, one of these colleagues was a member of Bishop's Tenure Review Committee. In 2007, several students say they complained to administrators about Bishop on at least three occasions, saying she was ineffective in the classroom had odd, unsettling ways, um, and then a petition was des- was designed. A petition was signed by dozens of students, which was then sent to the department head. The complaints, however, did not result in any classroom changes. So, these students, which I mean, I don't know. I've also been in a situation where I've seen students get annoyed with the teacher, and then they just yeah. go and complain, even though they just don't want to deal with what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so yeah, so nothing happened. And then apparently, you know, her tenure is getting, is going to get denied. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it doesn't seem like anything's happening, but her tenure will be denied. So as explained by University President Williams, Bishop was denied tenure in March of 2009 and expected not to have her teaching contract renewed after March of 2010. After Bishop's tenure was denied and she learned that one colleague had referred to her as crazy, she filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, alleging gender discrimination with the professor's remark to be used as possible evidence in that case. So, I mean, you know, it's not okay to call people crazy. We can't call people crazy anymore because people have mental illnesses. So I'm like, okay, yeah, do turn that in. Um, you know, but, you know, so it was not okay for her to be called crazy. All right. So then she said, you know, do I think it was gender discrimination? No, I don't. But, you know, so she used that. The professor did not retract his comments. The professor was given the opportunity to back off the claim or say it was a flippant remark, but he didn't. I said she was crazy multiple times and I stand by that. This woman has a pattern of erratic behavior. She did things that weren't normal. She was out of touch with reality. She appealed the decision to the university's administration, and without reviewing the content of the tenure application itself, they determined that the process was carried out according to policy and denied the appeal. So, she's not going to get her tenure. Yeah. You know, um, the professor was like, I stand by what I said, you know... I think he could have worded it better, but anyway, in the end, we're, yeah. So, Anderson, Bishop's husband, said that the denial of tenure had been an issue in recent months, describing the tenure process as a long, basically hard fight. You know, for people who don't know, Chelsea's dad was in the school system. My mom worked in the school system. Is (laughs) Chelsea's dad is still in the school system. He's not retired. So, yes. So, we kind of know what tenure is because Mm -hmm. of that. But when you teach for so long, like after a certain point that you've been teaching at the same place, you will get tenure. And at schools... It's a job security. Yeah. At schools, like, 
elementary, middle, high school, after you, I don't know if you automatically get it after like 10 years or not. I think after a certain point you get it. Yeah, maybe there is a review board. I don't know board. how long it is, but I'm pretty sure like once you hit that point, you're like, you you get it. Yeah, because I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder if they have to go through like a review too. And they may, and they we may. just don't know. So anyway, but, yeah. yeah, so they got to go through this here at this college too. And uh, she got denied for it. So um, he said it, that it was his understanding that she exceeded the qualifications for tenure and that she was distressed at the likelihood of losing her position, barring a successful appeal. She approached members of the University of Alabama Systems Board of Trustees and hired a lawyer who was finding one problem after another with the process. One sticking point was a dispute over whether two of her papers had been published in time to count toward tenure. Bishop was suspended without pay retroactively, on the day of the attack, and later, in a one-paragraph letter dated February 26, 2010, she was fired. Bishop received a letter of termination from Jack Fix, dean of the College of Sciences, which did not state a reason for doing so. Her termination was effective February 12, 2010. <gasps> the day before my birthday. Yes. Three days before my birthday. No, it is the 12th, right? Yeah, 12th. You said the 12th. Mm-hmm. The day before my birthday. So, yeah, so... Tenure not renewed in 2009. Expected to not have her job by March of 2010. And then in February, you know, she had already gotten fired and everything. So, okay. Now we're going to go back into the past for a minute. Okay. So, Bishop Amy had previous encounters with law enforcement due to an outburst or violent act on her part. In each instance, in, in each instance, she remained unscathed and did not come to the attention of the UA Huntsville administration or other employees. So there are things that they just kind of like missed. Yeah. Things that people didn't know about. Hmm. So one of those things would be when she was 21 Bishop fatally shot her 18-year-old brother, Seth Bishop. My word. Yeah. On December 6th, 1986, at their home in Braintree, Massachusetts. The incident in which Bishop fired at least three shots from a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, one into her wall of her bedroom, then one into her brother's chest while they were in the kitchen with their mother, and one into the ceiling of a room in a house in her house while fleeing the scene. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Then later pointed the weapon at a moving vehicle on the adjacent road and tried to get into the vehicle was classified as an accident by Braintree police. In statements to Braintree police that day, Amy and her mother, Judy, described the shooting as accidental. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. A brief inquiry into the incident by the state police in 1986, which was reported in 1987, because it was so close to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. They repeated the Braintree Police Department's initial assessment that the shooting was accidental, and District Attorney Bill Delahunt, later a U.S. congressman, did, decided not to file charges. Detailed records, detailed records of the shooting had disappeared mysteriously by 1988. Hmm. Braintree Police Chief Paul Frazier said on February 13th, mm, my birthday, 2010, you're th- uh-uh. 24. 
Right, the report's gone. Removed from the files. Tomorrow 21st part. Okay. Okay, so... Yeah. The files were just gone. What happened to these files? After speaking with officers involved in the case in 1986, Frazier called the accident description inaccurate and said that then-Chief John Polio ordered Bishop to be released to her mother... Frazier was not on duty during the incident, but recalled how frustrated the members of the department were over the release. So, like, she didn't go to jail. She just got released to her mom. Um, and I think she had actually talked to the then chief, you know, before, you know, anything happened. So mm-hmm. she may have talked him into, you know, releasing her to her. So the now retired polio denied that there had been a cover up. Frazier's 2010 account and the 1987 Massachusetts State Police report differ in several key details, including whether Bishop had been arguing with her brother or with her father before the shooting. On February 16, 2010, it was announced that the files previously declared missing had been located by Braintree officials and turned over to Norfolk County, Norfolk, Norfolk, <laughs> to Norfolk County prosecutors, Norfolk County it sounds like I have a speech impediment, but it's Norfolk. <laughs> Norfolk County had been located by Braintree officials and turned over to Norfolk County prosecutors. Norfolk County District Attorney William Keating concluded, based upon these files, that probable cause existed in 1986 to arrest and charge her for crimes committed after she fled the house. Mm-hmm. She had taken the shotgun to a nearby auto dealership shop and brandished it at two employees in an attempt to get a car. She could have been charged with assault with a dangerous weapon. Mm-hmm. She could have been charged with assault with a dangerous weapon, mm-hmm. carrying a dangerous weapon, and unlawful possession of ammunition. And fleeing the scene? Uh, you would think, but I guess this is just talking about the auto shop part, I guess. Like it was an accident watching you. That's what I don't understand. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. So... So the statute of limitations has expired on each of these charges, and the most serious charge considered in 1986 was manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Deval Patrick, the governor of Massachusetts, has ordered the state police to review their efforts in the investigation, saying it is critical that we provide as clear an understanding as possible about all aspects of this case and its investigation to ensure that where mistakes were made, they are not repeated in the future. An investigation has been opened in which the state will cooperate with the current Norfolk County District Attorney's Office to assess the state and local police and then DNA's handling of don't and then DA's <laughs> handling of the case. Okay, on February 25th, 2010, District Attorney Keating sent a letter to District Court Judge Mark Coven to start a judicial request into the inquest judicial inquest into the 1986 shooting. Keaton said that recently enlarged crime scene photos from Bishop's bedroom reveal art news articles in which a similar crime was reported and that this article may relate to Bishop's intent. So Mm -hmm. Keaton did not identify the specific news article, but the Boston Globe wrote an internet search revealed that two weeks earlier, the parents of Patrick Duffy the actor who played Bobby Ewing on the popular TV show Dallas, were killed by an assailant wielding a 12-gauge shotgun who then held up a car dealership, stole a pickup truck, and fled. 
Ratchet. Yeah. So that's crazy that, you know, that happened to Patrick Duffy's family. That's horrible. But she had a picture of it cut out in her room at that time. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. On March 1st, 2010, former Massachusetts State Police Detective Brian Howe broke his silence about the case. Howe who retired in 2009 and no longer lives in Massachusetts, was the lead investigator for the state police in the Bishop case. He said he looks forward to addressing the judicial inquest into the shooting and stands by his 1987 report and his agreement with the now-deceased Braintree lead investigator, Captain Theodore Barker, Bucker, Bucker? That, was, that the shooting was accidental, so he's standing by, he's stand, sticking to his guns. Howe said that he was assigned to the case nearly two hours after the shooting and then immediately called Braintree, whereupon he learned from Bucker he would not be needed that day and that Bishop had already been released into her parents' custody. Howe stated that Braintree police never informed him that Bishop had allegedly accosted employees at a car dealership at gunpoint demanding a car. Howe stated that he repeatedly requested the December 6th incident reports from Braintree police, but never received them. Hmm. Yeah, so there's that. Now, there's also a pipe bomb incident. According to investigators, Bishop and James Anderson, her husband, were suspects in a 1993 letter bomb case. Paul Rosenberg, a Harvard Medical School professor and physician at Children's Hospital Boston, received a package containing two pipe bombs that failed to explode. Mm-mm. I forgot there was, you know, there's just a time in like the 90s early 2000s where people were just making bombs and it was just like a thing like gosh i don't know don't be dumb like just stop so rosenberg was bishop's supervisor at a children's hospital neurobiology lab bishop had allegedly been concerned about receiving a negative evaluation from rosenberg and reportedly had been in a dispute with rosenberg Bishop resigned from her position at the hospital because Rosenberg felt she could not meet the standard requirements for the work. According to documents based upon witness interviews, Bishop was reportedly upset and on the verge of a nervous breakdown as a result. Anderson reportedly told a witness that he wanted to shoot, stab, or strangle Rosenberg Uh prior to the attempted bombing. Anderson denied he had ever threatened Rosenberg, saying, I wouldn't know the guy if he walked into a bar. And allegedly, this tip came into a tip line, and the validity of the witness was never ascertained. So, I guess the tip, we don't know for sure if it mm-hmm. was true or not. But peer investigators, the USPIS ATF investigation focused on Bishop and Anderson, but closed without charges filed due to lack of evidence. At one point during this investigation, the couple refused to cooperate with investigators, refusing to open their door to searches of their home and take polygraph tests. The chief federal prosecutor in Boston, U.S. Attorney Carmen Ortiz, reviewed the case following the shooting, but ultimately decided Bishop would not be charged in the bombing attempt. She determined that the initial investigation in 1993 was appropriate and thorough, and the case remains unsolved. Hmm. Then... There's also an International House of Pancakes assault. Pancakes! Yeah. <laughs> so in 2000... 2000- <laughs> love pancakes. <laughs> yeah, so... Flapjacks. This is a hot mess. In 2002, Bishop was charged with and pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor assault plus disorderly conduct 
and received probation for punching a woman who had received the last booster seat at an international house of pancakes in Peabody, Massachusetts. That shit. Yeah, so this is an IHOP, okay? According to the police report, Bishop strode over to the other woman, demanded the seat, and launched into a profanity-laced rant. When the woman would not give the seat up, Bishop punched her in the head, all while yelling, I am Dr. Amy Bishop. Honey, no one gives a crap if you're a doctor. Right. Okay. So Bishop's victim was identified as Michelle Jika. And after hearing about what happens in 2010, she declined to comment on the restaurant incident saying, it's not something I want to relive. So hmm. after what happens, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, I don't want to talk about it. In addition to probation, prosecutors recommended that Bishop attend anger management classes, although it is unclear whether the judge in the case ordered her to do so. Her husband said she never attended anger management classes. So we have two for sure, three potential incidents that are all leading up to the main thing that happens. Mm -hmm. And nobody is really doing anything about it. They're just kind of like, oh... Hmm. This is, it just is what it is, you know? So it's insane that nobody's really reprimanding her or making sure, you know, that mm-hmm. that things aren't happening. So, okay. So now we get to 2010. We're back in 2010. And this is the University of Alabama Huntsville shooting. Okay. So it's February 12th, 2010 at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. A routine meeting of the biology department attended by approximately 12 individuals is taking place. A professor stood up and began shooting the closest to her with a 9mm handgun. And this professor is, of course, Amy Bishop. Mm -hmm. The day of the shooting, Bishop taught her anatomy and neurosciences class. According to a student in Bishop's class, she seemed perfectly normal. She then attended a biology department faculty meeting in room 369, on the third floor. I know. I was like, <laughs> don't talk to me one more time. Okay. On the third floor of the Shelby Center for Science and Technology, which houses the UA Huntsville Biology and Mathematics departments. According to witnesses, 12 or 13 people attended the meeting, which was described as an ordinary faculty meeting. So it was the professors, it wasn't students. Right. Okay. Yeah. So these are the professors. And. Bishop's behavior was also described as normal just prior to the shooting. She sat quietly at the meeting for 30 to 40 minutes before pulling out a 9mm handgun just before 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, according to a faculty member. One of the associate professors who witnessed the attack said she got up suddenly, took a gun out, and started shooting each one of us. She started with the ones closest to her and went down the row shooting targets in the head. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, I guess I should have put a trigger warning out here because this is like a mass shooting incident. Um, but it's not by a student, it's by a professor. Yeah. So, according to another survivor, Deborah Moriarty, dean of the university's graduate program and a professor of biochemistry, this wasn't random shooting around the room. This was execution style. Those who were shot were on one side of the oval table used during the meeting and the five individuals on the other side, including Joseph, the one that said that she had just started shooting in the beginning, Mm -hmm. uh, dropped to the floor. Bishop had fired several rounds. Moriarty said that Bishop pointed the gun at her and pulled the trigger, 
but she only heard a click as her gun either jammed or ran out of ammunition. She described Bishop as initially appearing angry and then following the apparent weapon malfunction perplexed. So Joseph, the one I was talking about earlier and Moriarty then attempted to stop Bishop by approaching her and asking her to stop and then helped the other survivors push Bishop from the room and block the door. Um, Joseph said, Moriarty was probably the one that saved our lives. She was the one that initiated the rush. So, I mean, she's just shooting everybody. And then the gun stops as she's, I mean, imagine someone pointing a gun at you Mm -mm. and you've seen them kill these other people. And then it just clicks. Like, what would you do? Do you run? Do you tackle her down? Do you, I mean, so they froze in fear. Yeah. Like so many things. It's just intense. So the suspected murder weapon, a nine millimeter handgun was found in a bathroom on the second floor of the building. Bishop did not have a permit to carry a concealed weapon as required by state law. So she was arrested a few minutes later outside the building. Shortly after her arrest, she was quoted as saying, it didn't happen. There's no way. When asked about the deaths of her colleagues, Bishop replied, there's no way. They're still alive. So I don't know what's going on there. That sounds very, I don't know. Doesn't sound like she's in the right frame of mind. Right. So police interviewed Bishop's husband, James Anderson, after it was determined that she had called him to pick her up after the shooting. They did not charge him with a crime. In addition, a neighbor revealed in later interviews that he saw the couple leaving their home with duffel bags on Friday afternoon prior to the shooting. Anderson revealed that his wife had borrowed the gun used in the shooting and that he had escorted her to an outdoor to an indoor shooting range in the weeks prior to the incident. So she's just like getting ready for this. Shortly after Bishop's arrest, people at the university's biology department expressed concern to the police that she had booby-trapped the science building with a herpes bomb and mm. in intending to spread the virus. I mean, uh, you know, she had previously worked with the herpes virus while completing her postdoctoral studies, and a novel she wrote described the spread of a virus similar to herpes throughout the world causing pregnant women to miscarry. So she's writing all this in her books too. However, the police had already searched the premises, finding only the handgun used in the shooting. So now I'm going to talk about the victims. Um, Three faculty members were killed and three others were injured. Only a few students were present in the building at the time of the shooting and none were harmed. A memorial service was held at UA Huntsville on Friday, February 19th, 2010, with 3,000 people in attendance. So the people who passed away were Gopi Podia, chairman of biology department, Maria Ragolin Davis, a biology professor, Adriel D. Johnson, Sr., a biology professor, Luis Rogiello Cruz Vera, biology professor. Um, now, he lived... So, so I, I already told the three that passed away. Mm-hmm. So he was released from the hospital fe- uh, February 4th, 2010. Joseph Leahy, a biology professor, was released from the hospital April 14th, 2010. And then Stephanie Monticiolo, who was a staff assistant, was released from the hospital March 29th, 2010. 
So, you know, mm-hmm. out of the six people she was able to shoot, three lived and three died. Ugh. But so due to the attention Bishop has attracted as a result of the shooting, previous violent incidents that were somehow related to her have been reevaluated, mm-hmm. which are the ones I went over earlier. So Bishop was charged with one count of capital murder and three counts of attempted murder. The police confiscated a large binder containing documents pertaining her tenure battle, her computer, and the family van. And you may be wondering what we're wondering, which is why not three, three counts of capital yeah, murder? Or four. Murder. <laughs> capital murder. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Um, so I tried to check really quickly and I can't find anything about it. And it may be in here. It may not. I'm not sure. I wrote this months and months ago. So, yeah. Okay. She secured an unnamed attorney and was held at the Madison County, Alabama jail without bail. Her court appointed attorney was Roy W. Miller. Bishop was eligible for the death penalty or life in prison, according to Alabama law on February 15th. During a closed-door hearing presided over by an Alabama judge, the charges were read to Bishop. Following the hearing, Bishop was on suicide watch, a standard procedure in such cases. Her husband said she called him prior to her arraignment, and they spoke for approximately two minutes and said she seems to be doing okay. On March 12th, while executing a search warrant on Bishop's residence, the police discovered a suspicious device prompting an evacuation of the nearby neighborhood and later identified by the bomb squad as non-explosive. So they just, they don't got nervous. They said, wait a minute, because she don't got something yeah. up here. So I'm just going to roll on out. Um, but it was non-explosive. So Miller visited her in jail and said she does not remember the shooting and was very cogent. So very clear, alert, you know, but seeming to recognize that she had a loose grip on reality. Initially, he said Bishop had severe mental health issues that appeared to be paranoid schizophrenia, but later retracted that statement saying he had spoken out of turn, which, I mean, he's the, he's the lawyer. So yeah, he doesn't know if that's true or not. So I guess he was like, let me retract that because I don't know for sure. So he acknowledged Bishop's role in the attack saying, this is not a whodunit. This lady has committed this offense or offenses in front of the world. It gets to be a question in my mind of her mental capacity at the time or her mental state at the time that these acts were committed. Miller also said he would be enlisting the help of one or more psychiatrists. I literally say this word almost every day. One or more psychiatrists to examine his client who said this was not the first time she had no recollection of something that had happened. He said he did not know if Bishop was insane and that determining whether she was culpable for her actions would be left to a psychiatrist, and that she was very sorry for what she has done. Hmm. So I'm assuming he's meaning, like, criminally mm-hmm. insane, or like, you know, but yeah, so, I don't know. Okay, March 1st, 2010. Norfolk District Attorney William Keating announced that an inquest would be held in April on the 13th through 16th of 2010. Judge Mark Coven First Justice of Quincy District Court was scheduled to hold the inquest. On June 16, 2010, Bishop was charged with first-degree murder in her brother's death nearly 24 years after his shooting. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. 
So, and Keaton commented saying, I can't give you any explanations. I can't give you excuses because there are none. Jobs weren't done. Responsibilities weren't met and justice wasn't served. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, geez. Yeah. You know, she killed her brother. This should have been the first signs of, oh, something's wrong here. We probably need to, you know, work on things. But then she just went unchecked all this time. So on June 18th, two days after Bishop was indicted for the murder of her brother in a reopened case, she attempted suicide in a Huntsville jail. Um, She survived and was treated at a hospital and then returned to jail. Her husband complained that the authorities did not inform him of the incident. Which, that's, like, yeah, you should tell somebody. Yeah, they should have told him. Yeah. Okay, so in November 2010, survivors Leahy and Monticiolo filed lawsuits against Anderson and Bishop to recover damages. In January 2011, attorneys representing Davis's and Johnson's families filed wrongful death lawsuits against Bishop, Anderson, and the university. In September 2011, Bishop pleaded not guilty by means of the insanity defense. In 2012, the spouse of one of the murdered researchers wrote a letter to the judge presiding over the case. In this letter, the writer indicated that the researcher's family had greatly suffered from its loss due to Bishop's actions, but that the family did not see a benefit from the loss of another life. Hmm. In response to this letter... Bishop's lawyers offered to change her plea to guilty in exchange for the prosecution not seeking the death penalty. On receiving this offer, Chief Prosecutor Robert Broussard contacted and learned from the nine survivors that none of them wanted the death sentence for Bishop. Oh, wow. I know, right? Like, that's... Shocking. Yes. On the basis of these opinions, Broussard decided not to seek the death penalty, and on September 11, 2012... Bishop pleaded guilty to the above charges in order to avoid the death penalty. The jury heard a condensed version of the evidence on September 24, 2012, as required by Alabama law, and Amy Bishop was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on September 24, 2012. Well, good. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that, I don't know, and maybe I did this so long ago, I just needed to do more research on it. But like, where were the test, like what tests were done to see what kind of mental state she was in? You know what I mean? Or like what happened? But like that should have been done after her brother was killed. If that had happened, then none of this other stuff would have probably happened, you know? Mm -hmm. But I do think it, you have to be, like, I can't imagine that happening to someone in my family and then they were like, you know, one more person being gone isn't going to change anything. Yeah. You know, like that's, you know, not everybody's going to feel that way. And you're allowed to feel how you're going to feel about that. But I'm just like, wow, like all nine of them were like, no, don't. Yeah. Don't do it. So, you know, it just shows, I guess, forgiveness on their part. Maybe not forgiveness, but they're just like, no. But maybe some of them were like, no, she needs to stay in jail and pay yeah. for what she did. I thought this was a really interesting case. What could have been prevented, you know, if things had been different? Mm-hmm. And what, you know, actually was going on with her? Like, obviously, this is someone with a lot of mental illness. So I'm kind of on the fence of, like, should she have been placed in, like, a mental institution? Yeah. For people like her so that she could get the help she needed? Or should she go to jail because she committed these horrible crimes 
She says she doesn't remember them, and she may not very well remember them. Yeah. Depending well, she could on. Be lying. Yeah. You know, you just don't know, especially depending on what is going on psychologically with her. So, anyway. So, y'all, tell us what you think. I'm, I'm very interested to hear from like Sophia and Shelby and all of my therapist people that listen to the podcast. I'm like, tell me what y'all think about it for sure because i i don't know much about it like they do yeah so it'd be interesting to hear kind of what they think about that but i guess that is it that's it for now um yes (laughs) um if you all would like to send us your request questions concerns corrections anything like that you can go to a million murders at gmail.com and you can also check our Instagram, A Million Murders, and check out the pictures of the places, people, things, people, places, and things. <laughs> um, you can also go to our Facebook page and our Facebook group and check out our content on there. We try to, you know, post as much as we can. If you don't have an email, you have questions, you can always message us on there. Um, we've got Messenger set up. And yeah, if you want to like interact with anybody, interact with us on there, you can do that. All right, yes. And I guess all that's left is to say thank you for tuning in. And we hope you come back for a million million more. more. Bye. Bye.